This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I want to start the show today with a video. It's a great video. It's not too long. It's only a short, a little bit over a minute long. And I want you to listen to the crowd's reaction at the end of this video. The context of this video is Jason Aldean was the subject of an attempted cancellation by the left because his new, it's actually not a new song, he released it in May, but he has a new music video for the song Try That in a Small Town. And the left saw this music video, because the song's inherently anti-rioting, we talked about it on the show last week, the left accused him of being pro-lynching, that this song was supposed to be a modern lynching song. Jason Aldean had a beautiful reaction to it on Twitter last week, but over the weekend, he was touring at a concert in the Midwest, he was actually in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he responded verbally on stage to the backlash and to the, specifically, the attempted cancellation and what he said made the crowd roar. Take a look at this. Everybody having fun so far tonight? Well, I gotta tell you guys, man, it's been a long-ass week. It's been a long week, and I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff suggesting I'm this, suggesting I'm that. Hey, here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's one thing I feel. I feel like everybody's entitled to their opinion. You can think, you can, you can think something all you want to, it doesn't mean it's true, right? So, what I am, is a proud American, I'm proud to be from here. I love our country. I want to see it restored to what it once was before all this bullshit started happening to us. <laughs> I love my country, I love my family, and I will do anything to protect that. I can tell you that right now. Here's what I want to say. A lot of things out there, and one thing I love, you guys know how it is this day and age, cancel culture is a thing. That's something that if people don't like what you say, they try and make sure that they can cancel you, which means try and ruin your life, ruin everything. One thing I saw this week was a bunch of country music fans that could see through a lot of the bullshit, all right? First of all, did that give you the chills? Because it gives me the chills when people start chanting USA. But the thing that Jason Aldean said at the very end, I thought, yes, this is the moment that we're in in our culture right now, this very important pivotal moment. When Jason Aldean started talking about cancellation, he talked about how country music fans reacted to the left's idea that we should cancel Jason Aldean for this song, Try That in a Small Town. And what did country music fans do? We made that song go to the top of the charts. This is different, right? 
This is, this is like Target and like Bud Light. It's cancellation, or I suppose preventing someone from being canceled, like preventing Jason Aldean from being canceled, is the inverse of a boycott, but it's the same power of the consumer. For the first time in modern America, conservatives are making our voices and our values known through our consumerism. And I feel like we've discovered a new superpower. I feel like this is something that hasn't been done effectively by us, by our side before, but for the first time, it is, and it's not just the political right, if you will. It's not just professional right-wingers or conservatives or members of the Republican Party. This is a movement that is a lot bigger than the people that are just in the political trenches every day. This is everyday American men and women who may not care that much about politics, who are looking at what's happening in our society right now, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's queer theory, whether it's you know the, the terrible cancel, cancel culture and moral relativism, and they're recognizing that that's bad that that's wrong, that that's evil, and they're doing something about it, even if politics isn't their favorite thing in the world. I find that to be so tremendously encouraging in our fight that I wanted to start the show with that today. Also encouraging, the left has gone too far and they are receiving backlash in Italy, in the Miss Italy beauty pageant. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, Last week on the show, we talked about Miss Netherlands, how the beauty pageant, it's a Miss Universe subsidiary. It's the Netherlands version of it. The person who won was not a woman. The person who won was a man, a biological man, masquerading as a woman, cosplaying a woman, not even a cute woman. We saw the picture last week. And this sparked backlash all around the world. We talked about it. A lot of other people talked about it. And this is one of those things. You don't have to be particularly politically active to recognize that, yeah, that's a dude. And a dude shouldn't be winning a female beauty pageant, regardless of how much makeup he's wearing or whether he is wearing high heels. It's fundamentally wrong. We all recognize this. Well, it's not just that consumers or potential consumers of these beauty pageants are speaking out. The owner of the Miss Italy subsidiary of the Miss Universe beauty pageant has banned transgender individuals, meaning biological men who are masquerading as women, from competing. The woman who owns Miss Italy is named Patricia Miragliani, and this is what she said. She said that it is absurd to allow transgender competitors to win. She said the purpose of it is just to make the news. She said, lately, beauty contests have been trying to make the news, also using strategies that I think are a bit absurd. My competition provides in its rules the clarification that you must be a woman from birth. And I read that and I thought, you know what? It is encouraging 
and invigorating, it's energizing to see that our hard work, especially in the face of backlash from the left all the time, day in and day out, that our hard work nonetheless is effective. That the left has gone too far with the transgender ideology. The fact that the left has, the left has made the transgender ideology their hill to die on is actually causing the transgender ideology to be prohibited, to die out in our culture. And this is a very, very good thing. It's a shame that Europe has to be the leader on this. This is supposed to be the role of the United States of America to be the leader of the free world, to be the leader of the West. But at least sometimes good and right and beautiful truth and morals do prevail. And that's what's happening in Italy. So the opposite of truth and morals is coming out of the mouth of our vice president, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris made the news over the weekend because she's telling lies again, per usual. This is Kamala Harris's modus operandi to tell lies. This lie is about Florida's new proposed curriculum. So yes, this sounds, oh, this is in the weeds. This is nitty gritty. So Florida is proposing a curriculum that will be implemented in their public schools based on recent legislation that we've heard about, legislation that, that, that calls for the education of children about the, the reality of communism or prohibits the indoctrination of children in radical gender ideology. And their new curriculum as it pertains to history, particularly American history, particularly the time in US history when slavery was legal in our country, Kamala Harris is wildly misrepresenting what this is. This is what Kamala's claim is. Let's take a listen to that first. Extremists, so-called leaders, for months have dared to ban books. Book bans in this year of our Lord, 2023. Extremists here in Florida. Pass a law, don't say gay. Trying to instill fear in our teachers that they should not live their full life and love who they love. And now, on top of all of that, they want to replace history with lies. Middle school students in Florida to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery. <laughs> High schoolers may be taught that victims of violence, of massacres, were also perpetrators. I said it yesterday. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not have it. Kamala Harris doing what Kamala Harris always does. This is how Kamala Harris even got to be vice president of the United States because she's corrupt and she lies. So let's start with her contradiction here. So this is the funny thing about the leftist ideology is you don't even, you don't even have to speak in order for it to debunk itself. It will fundamentally cannibalize its own arguments. So for example, the 1619 Project, what does the 1619 Project teach? The 1619 Project teaches that America, the United States of America, was built on the backs of slaves. That the United States of America was built on the labor of slaves. So we're supposed to believe, if, if we listen to the 1619 Project, it was from the New York Times, but it's now in curriculum in schools all across the country. We're supposed to believe that America was built on the backs of slaves, but then Kamala Harris tells us that apparently slaves had no monetizable skills, that 
they used to build America? Well, it seems to me that both of those things can't be true. Either, either America was built on the backs of slaves who had skills and labor that was monetized by evil slave owners, or they had no skills or labor that could be monetized and therefore the whole thing cannibalizes itself. She's contradicting herself, but this is what the democratic ideology always does. She's also lying. What she's using is the don't say gay playbook. The left, you'd think the left would have learned their lesson because they were destroyed so badly in the court of public opinion that even Democrats in the state of Florida were supportive of the parental rights and education law, which the Democrats called don't say gay, or the Democrat operatives, the Democrat elites, the Democrats in Washington called, Democrats in the mainstream media called don't say gay. The actual law was the parental rights and education law, and even Democrat parents in Florida supported it because all it did was prohibit the classroom instruction of gender ideology in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade. It had nothing to do with what teachers' lives were outside of the classroom, nothing at all. It simply prohibited teachers from talking about graphic sex and unscientific, poisonous, communist ideology that pertains to sex in the classroom. But this is exactly the playbook that Kamala Harris is trying to use again. I mean, she even referenced it when she said, you know, oh, the don't say gay bill. Well. We've all debunked that and no one believed you. The actual language of the text that Kamala Harris references, this is what it reads. Instruction, for children, this is curriculum, remember. Instruction includes how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. That's the language of the bill. So it says nothing that Kamala Harris claims that it said. Nothing whatsoever, not even kind of close. That's the phrase. Instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. That's the literal comparison here. But And the context makes it even more interesting because the context, what else is being taught? What else is up for instruction? Charles Cook over at the National Review analyzed the entirety of this curriculum and identified every reference to slavery, to slaves, to any form of racialism and you should go read it. It's great. It, it, it gives you a, a thorough picture of what's going to be taught to students in school. But I want to read you just a couple of these, a couple of these things that are taught about slavery. So that you can see in the context here, Kamala Harris is accusing Republicans, particularly DeSantis, of whitewashing history. That's not at all true because this is what children will be taught. The conditions for Africans during their passage to America the living conditions of slaves in British North American colonies, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America, including infant mortality rates, the harsh conditions and their consequences on British American plantations, i.e. undernourishment, climate conditions, infant and child mortality rates of the enslaved versus the free, the harsh conditions in the Caribbean plantations, poor nutrition, rigorous labor disease, how the South tried to prevent slaves from escaping and their efforts to end the Underground Railroad, the overwhelming death rates caused by the practice, the many ways in which Africans resisted slavery, the ramifications of prejudice, racism, and stereotyping on individual freedoms, the struggles faced by African-American women in the 19th century as it relates to issues of suffrage, business, and access to education, et cetera, et cetera. As you can see, the full context here is not painting a pretty picture of slavery. Kamala Harris is evil. She's lying deliberately because she's so corrupt. She's so deeply embedded, deeply tied to this ideology, this radical leftist ideology, that she will resort to race baiting, pitting citizens of the United States, black citizens against white citizens, white citizens against black citizens, in order to try to achieve her desired political outcome. And you know what that tells me? 
it tells me that A, she sold her soul, and B, she doesn't believe that her political ideology and her political goals would win if she actually presented them to the American people and the American people compared them to the alternative. Kamala Harris is doing what Kamala Harris always does. She is lying. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so we have a quick update on the beef with Andrew Tate. And I know some of you are probably thinking, Liz, I'm tired of hearing about this. We talked about this two different times last week. And I hear you. I totally hear you. But stick with me on this for a minute because I have one of the most important points that I have made yet to make to you tonight based on some guy by the name of Mike Crispy. I've never heard of him before this. Maybe you guys had heard of him. You probably have. He has a show on Rumble, apparently. He is a defender of Andrew Tate, and he made a video totally destroying Liz Wheeler after my interactions with Andrew Tate last week. Andrew Tate then retweeted this video of Mike Crispy, and I would like to address a couple of the points in this guy's video, not, not to get into a tit for tat, I'm not interested in that, but because this video embodies one of the existential questions that you and I are facing as conservatives in our modern culture today. In fact, in fact, I would argue that what I'm about to explain, what this video is a perfect example of, is one of the main reasons why conservatives and why the Republican Party as a whole, I, I like to separate conservatives from the Repu Republican Party a little bit, but why we as a whole have been losing the culture war time after time after time after time for decades now. It's because there's an existential question that we within the conservative movement, within the Republican Party, have not sat down and hashed out. Again, not in a tit-for-tat kind of way, not in a someone totally destroyed someone else, but we haven't sat down and had an intellectual conversation about this. This disagreement that I'm talking about, the root of this disagreement between some conservatives or some red-pilled people who might not be as political, but who like Andrew Tate and me, the root of this disagreement is because we don't have a clear-cut definition on what is a real man. What is true masculinity. Andrew Tate offers his version of it. I'm offering a version that differs from Andrew Tate, but it comes back to this question, what is masculinity? What is it? Why do men exist? What is the purpose of men that differs from the purpose of women? And this takes us to an even deeper question, if you will indulge me being philosophical for a second. What is the definition of right? 
because it's pretty easy to look at something and say, oh, it's wrong. We can look at a drag queen story hour and we can all say, yeah, that's wrong, that's immoral, it's gross, it's perverted. But what is the definition of right? I've noticed, even among people who are generally in agreement on political and cultural issues, that there is not a consensus among us on what the definition of right is, even while we agree mostly on the definition of wrong. So for example, when it comes to Andrew Tate, the biggest problem with Andrew Tate, of course, is pornography. In fact, you could frame this conversation as being primarily about pornography and about the culture that pornography creates among young men who consume it. And you'll notice that Andrew Tate defenders, including Mike Crispy, dismiss Andrew Tate's pornography business as simply being a webcam business. They never use the word pornography. They never define what is pornography. What's it used for? What, what impact does it have on society, on young men specifically, on families, on marriages, on masculinity? They never want to focus on the question, well, if a woman consents, gives her consent to be, to be in pornography, and if it's legal, does that make it moral? This is an existential question. I know it's an uncomfortable question. Some people might be like, whoa, whoa, we're talking about Andrew Tate. I don't want to sit here and talk about porn. This is not, this is not all about porn. That's, a, that's an example of what I want to talk about. Because what I want to do today is I don't want to offer just a defensive analysis of what's wrong with Andrew Tate. I don't want to just destroy Andrew Tate at every single turn. Or I, I don't want to get into a tit for tat with, with this guy that made the video. That's not the point of what I'm doing today. But I want to offer instead a constructive idea of what real masculinity is. Because conservatives are never going to win the culture war if we simply are the party of no. If we're simply looking at wrong, correctly recognizing wrong, but then we have nothing to offer instead. So many of you guys, after I, I started interacting with Andrew Tate on Twitter, a lot of you were like, well, who should we look to? What role model is a good example of what real masculinity is? And I gave, I gave an answer that I meant. It wasn't an answer that I, that I, that's wrong. But I, I want to expand on this question because this is a valid question, a good question, and I'm glad you asked this question. So that's what I want to do today. So let's start by watching a little bit of this video from Mike Crispy, if we could bring that up on the screen. Liz Wheeler said, Andrew Tate is evil. He is an antichrist figure. He prescribes poison, materialism, pornography, the exploitation of women, the worship of self. Young men should reject him. Okay, hold on just a second. So that's where I wanna pause it for a second because if we can bring my tweet up on the screen as well, Mike Crispy did not read that tweet in its entirety, and it's only 280 characters. It's not like this was too long here. This is what I said. I said, Andrew Tate is evil. He's an antichrist figure. He diagnoses a cultural ill accurately that our society vilifies men. Then for an antidote, he prescribes poison, materialism, pornography, exploitation of women, worship of self. Young men should reject him. Mike Crispy skipped that middle sentence, the sentence where it says he diagnoses a cultural ill accurately that society vilifies men. And it's important not to skip that because this is what makes Tate dangerous. It's not just that Andrew Tate is 
acting immorally. There are a lot of people all around the world acting immorally. The reason it's dangerous when Andrew Tate acts immorally is because he's using the pretense of morality, meaning he's identifying a wrong correctly to lure young men in, but then he's essentially offering a bait and switch. That's what makes him dangerous. So let's restart the tape. Christ figure. Now, Andrew Tate has said, and he's talked about it, that his former business, he's been very open about it, this webcam business that he did, he's been out of it for a number of years. He became a Muslim, he converted, he's religious now, all that stuff. He talks about it and he says he's not proud of it, but he did it, he made money on it, fine. Oh, it doesn't seem fine to me. This is what, this is, let's just stop for a second on that phrase, webcam business. So what is this webcam business? Let's define it. What is this webcam business? It's pornography. What's pornography? Pornography is sexual exploitation of women. It's women on camera in this case. It was not men and women together. Women performing sexual acts on a live stream on a camera for men to purchase so that they, in a voyeuristic sense, could achieve sexual gratification by objectifying these women. If we have a hard time saying the word pornography, if we just use a euphemism, a webcam business, if we, if we have a hard time defending or defining pornography, we should ask ourselves why. Why is it uncomfortable to define pornography? Well, it's uncomfortable to define pornography because we don't want to think about what it is. We don't want to think about what it is because it is the exploitation of women. It's, it's grotesque. It's immoral. Immoral. That's the key word here. And the impact that pornography has on the women who are performing is obvious. It's the exploitation of women, treating them as sexual objects, degrading who they are. They have dignity and value just because they exist. They aren't here for to be abused for the, grat the sexual gratification of someone paying for it. That's, that's evil. The word that I used before, that's evil. But the impact that pornography has on young men is also destructive. The impact that pornography has on young men is it, it reduces their sex drive. It actually changes the wiring in their minds. They are no longer... Um, they no longer enjoy normal sex. They, they crave more twisted and more perverted versions of pornography because they get desensitized to regular old sex. It also leads them towards violence, violence towards women. In addition to breaking down, and perhaps this is no surprise, breaking down relationships and breaking down marriages. So pornography is an inherently destructive thing at every level. There's no positive way to look at pornography. And Andrew Tate has, has bragged about making his wealth, making his riches off pornography. In fact, he said to the Fresh and Fit podcast, at one point he said, I had 75 women working for me in four locations and I was doing $600,000 a month. That doesn't sound like a small operation. I know that he has a spokesman or a lawyer or someone who claims that it's, it wasn't a profitable thing for the Tates, it was too controversial, that's why they moved away from it. Well, it, that's not what Andrew Tate said. Andrew Tate said that he made $600,000 a month off of exploiting these women and exploiting the young men. And also, also this part is, is rarely covered. Andrew Tate himself participated in scamming, I guess, an older men who were richer, who became such fans of these girls performing pornography that they would want to send them they would want to meet them and send them large cash gifts. And so Andrew Tate said that he would sit sometimes for 16 hours a day pretending to be one of the webcam girls in order to scam these men out of money and he would keep the money. This is not a webcam business that can be dismissed as a webcam business. This is, this is nasty stuff. This is pornography, which we will define an exploitation at every level. This is really, really bad stuff. Let's continue watching the tape.
But Andrew Tate's core message is not about pimping out women and all these things. They cherry pick these little pieces of things that are said on the internet, and then they go, look, he's terrible, he's bad, he's a woman beater, he's a woman abuser, all these things. He speaks out publicly to young men about values that are inherently our values, being healthy, eating right, going to the gym, working hard, not taking government handouts, being a man, having self-respect, all these things. Good things for masculinity in the future of men. All right, wait a second here, wait a second here. This is a phrase that we're gonna break down more. When he says, these are good things for masculinity and the future of men, well, this is where the big question, this is where the big disagreement lies. What is masculinity? What is good for the future of men? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. Okay, let's bring this video up. Um, let's bring this video up one more time here. This is this is element five E. And listen, is he perfect? No. Is anybody perfect? No. But to call him the Antichrist, is he peddling pornography to the modern day youth in the last five years? No. Okay, so we agree then that it's egregious to peddle pornography. Why is that? Because pornography is fundamentally immoral. Otherwise, if you didn't agree that pornography is fundamentally immoral, then you wouldn't be denying this because there'd be no reason to. If there's nothing wrong with it, why, why deny that it was happening? But we agree that it's a terrible, egregious thing to peddle pornography. What's funny is that all the responses to the video compilation of, of Andrew Tate bragging, the one that went viral, of Andrew Tate bragging about pimping women and getting rich off of a porn business, he never denies any of it. In, in all his responses, he spent the last week issuing responses himself and through his surrogates. No one's denying what he did He's never said that he regretted it. He's never disavowed it. I wonder why. Don't you? Shouldn't we all wonder why? Let's bring the video back up. Materialism. So because he's successful and he shows young children, oh, you could buy this and you could have nice cars and nice homes. So that's antichrist stuff now, according to Liz Wheeler. According to Liz Wheeler, well, we don't have to. We don't have to start it like that. We can ask the question, what is materialism? Let's define what materialism is. Materialism is glorifying inanimate objects as a key to success or defining success as in terms of material goods first or, and this is probably the most, the most apropos definition, materialism describes the belief that buying and having possessions is not just important but a key to happiness in life. So, Let's just listen, let's just read some of Andrew Tate's own words and you can make a decision for yourself whether he is engaging in materialism. He says, a real man is ultra rich and provides his woman with the most expensive things money can buy. In order to be a real man, apparently, you have to be ultra rich. He says, it's extremely important as a man that you become rich. 
Okay, then he says, I teach men to become filthy rich. Money is ultra important to escape the slave mind. Then he posts a link and says, learn what you need to escape. He then says, those who say money doesn't make you happy were always miserable. Those who were happy broke are very happy rich. He says, you must be rich, but also strong and able to fight. He goes, there's a sense of inner peace coming with the knowledge that you, coming with the knowledge that you can have anything you want, anytime you want. What's funny is once you truly have this ability through unlimited fame and money, you don't even want anything. Knowing you could have it is enough. So as you can see, he certainly does equate money with success. He also equates money with happiness. That is the definition, the definition of materialism here. And it's as if anybody needs further proof of this. Let's watch this, this video. If we could bring uh, element 6G up, right, on the, okay. up on the screen. Let's talk about money. One of my favorite subjects. <laughs> oh, one of his favorite topics. So then we get, we're watching a montage of Andrew Tate with ultra luxury items. So expensive watches, diamond encrusted jewelry and paraphernalia, expensive luxury cars. This, I mean, you can see this for yourself. You can hear his words for yourself. He said, money is one of my favorite topics, and he certainly equates it with happiness and success and actually says a real man is ultra-rich. So you can make the decision for yourself here. Let's bring up um, one last bit from this video. This is element 7A. And he's a terrible man because they clipped up this compilation of things that he said back in the day, and that's muddying the waters and the reason why he should be guilty now. These are Democrat tactics. It really is. It just bothers me. Because I read the whole thing. I watched the Tucker interview in detail. The indictment has nothing to do with anything from his past. It has things to do from 2021 onward, if you read it. And everyone's like, oh, Tucker Carlson, he didn't call it out. And he was doing the interview, and he didn't call it out. Well, he didn't call it out because it didn't relate to the case. Tucker Carlson said, what are you charged with? And he said, this, this, this. Oh, my goodness. Tucker didn't ask him about the webcams. Didn't ask him about that. Well, it has nothing to do with the case. Oh, and he's materialistic because he shows people that you can live a nice life if you work hard and honor God and honor your body and your values, all that stuff. They do that. Liz Wheeler pushes this. It's stupid. It's wrong. I don't know why she's doing it. So I expected him to make this point. I expected him to make it earlier in the video. But first of all, it should be fairly obvious that if you're analyzing Andrew Tate's legal troubles in Romania by simply repeating what Andrew Tate has said about his legal troubles in Romania, then you're not actually analyzing it. You're just acting as a spokesperson for him. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of Andrew Tate's followers are missing. I've never commented on Andrew Tate's legal case. Never. None of my commentary has been related to his, his, the charges that were made against him in Romania. None of it. I might talk about it at some point in the future. I might, but I have not yet. What I have been doing is making the moral case against Andrew Tate, uh, making the case that he is a destructive force, a destructive role model for young men, leading them down the path of self-destruction, the moral case. But what Andrew Tate has been doing himself and through surrogates is trying to conflate the moral and the legal case because he doesn't want to answer my four factual observations about, about what he does. That first he, he accurately diagnoses a cultural ill that society vilifies young men um, and then he leads them towards self-destruction through materialism, pornography, exploitation of women, and worship of self. It's the easiest tactic to use to avoid answering those observations is simply to pretend that I'm talking about something else. But 
it's pretty obvious to anybody who has read my words that I'm making the moral case against Andrew Tate. There's a really important conversation to talk about the morality of Andrew Tate, legality aside. There are plenty of things that are uh, legal, that are immoral. That's not the case that I'm making. The case that I'm making is the moral case against Andrew Tate. So, by the way, Mike Crispy asked if I wanted to engage in a civil debate. You can, we can show this on the screen. This is his tweet to me. It's element number eight. He said, open to a civil debate on this, Liz Wheeler. I'm game. So I said, sure, come on my show. I'm happy to have a civil debate with you. I'm also happy to debate Andrew Tate. Um, our producers reached out to him. He was unable to come on the show today. He was, he was already scheduled. He's welcome to come on the show anytime. I think this is an important conversation to be had for the reasons that I stated before, because the root of all of this actually has nothing to do with Andrew Tate himself. Andrew Tate is just the manifestation of this, or he's one of the most famous figures who is embodying this existential crisis in the conservative movement right now of what is masculinity? What is it? Can you define it? I want everybody watching the show, especially if you're a defender of Andrew Tate, if you, if you think that he's been helpful, if you think that what he's offering young men is constructive, ask yourself, what is the definition of masculinity? This is the argument that I'm making, that the definition of masculinity that Andrew Tate is offering is wrong. So I think to define masculinity, we have to go all the way back to our origin. And this is, I, I promise that this is not inherently religious, although it, it comes through my religious worldview. As you know, I'm a practicing Christian, and thus I see the world, including the culture and politics, through this lens. You don't have to be a Christian or a practicing religious person to understand the point that I'm making. So if, if you're not a person of faith, don't click off right now. I have a point to make and understand that people are drawn to truth and that truth, objective truth exists. Just like you and I know that a man can't be a woman just because he wants to be, or a woman can't be a man just because she identifies as one. Some things are simply true. So to define masculinity, we're not just defining characteristics that or tendencies or habits that are more likely to occur in the male of the species, of the human species, than in the woman of the, of the human species. We are actually examining the very nature of who we are as human persons. And in order to understand the nature of who we are as human persons, specifically in this case, we're talking about men. So the nature of who um, men are, the nature of masculinity, we have to go all the way back to our origin. Authentic masculinity, true manliness is rooted in the word of God, in our creator. Again, you don't have to be a practicing Christian. I, I'm glad you're here listening to this and I wanna share this with you because this is a really important cultural point to be made about not just Andrew Tate, but about our entire political battle against the radical left. And it's, it's this, disagreement or lack of clarity that a lot of people in our party have that has caused us to lose cultural battle after cultural battle after cultural battle. So if we're, if we're looking for the de definition of authentic masculinity, we should look at our origin, which would be in Genesis. In Genesis chapter two, man is told that his responsibility in the garden is to till and to keep it. To till and to keep it. But these words, till, and keep. If you look at the original Hebrew words, to till means to perform a work that is a service. 
So labor in the service of others. And to keep, the Hebrew word that's translated into English as keep, the Hebrew word means to protect and defend. So right from the very origin of man, we understand that the role of mankind, meaning the role of mas masculinity, is to work in the service of others or to labor in the service of others and to protect and defend. So God then says to Job, he says to gird your loins like a man. Now, the literal translation of gird your loins is pull up your pants, which I find to be quite humorous. But of course, what is meant in Job is to summon your inner strength, your, your inner masculine strength to prepare for battle. This makes sense in the, in, the, in the context of, oh, men are in the garden, we're told to protect and defend. So summon your inner strength, prepare for battle. But what are you going to be fighting? What are you, what are you going to fight? Is this a physical battle? Well, Ephesians 6 tells us that the battle that men are supposed to fight is not necessarily a physical battle. It is a, a battle against sin and against death. This is what Ephesians 6 says. And indulge me on this. This point that I'm going to make after I, I this will take me about a minute and a half to get through um, this argument. I'm interested in your thoughts. Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Besides all these, take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're told pretty clearly that men's duty to protect and defend isn't necessarily a physical battle. It's against sin and against death. And then of course, you have to ask the question, well, who are you fighting for or whom are you defending? And this is also answered in Ephesians 5 when men are told that they're fighting for their wives. Ephesians 5 says, sanctify your wife and make her holy. So you are protecting your wife, your spouse, the woman that you are now one, spiritually one with, from the forces of evil. You are supposed to make her holy, sanctify her and make her holy. Men might be thinking, well, how on earth do I do that? And for what purpose do I do that? Well, St. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. What did Christ do in his love for us? He died on a cross to forgive our sins in order to bring us to heaven eternally with him. So men's role is to protect and defend their wives against evil, spiritual evil, in order to sanctify her and bring her to heaven, which means men are called to serve and sanctify and sacrifice even with their own body to protect their families. This is actually the root of a lot of the misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the um, verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands. The translation of the word submit is closer to accept. Ex it's it's, it's a, almost a better translation would be accept your husband's mission to bring you to heaven. Accept your husband's mission to sanctify you, to protect you from evil, to keep you holy. St. Paul says that he dies daily to protect others from sin. This is the definition of true masculinity. 
This is the root of the disagreement, not just over Andrew Tate, but the root of the problems that the Republican Party and the conservative movement have faced. Because we cannot look at these problems and say, okay, we identify what's wrong, but what is right? What is the prescription? What do we want society to look like? What are our families supposed to look like? What are individual members of our families, men and women, husbands and wives, what are what are we supposed to do? What is our purpose? If we can't answer those questions, then what's going to happen is Andrew Tate. What's going to happen is, sure, you can pretty easily see what's wrong, but it's not so easy to then prescribe what is right. Let me know what you think. LizWheeler.com, drop me your comments. Go to my Twitter, Liz underscore Wheeler. Drop me your comments there as well. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.